Happy Monday, everybody. How you doing? Doing well. Good to see you, Joe. Welcome, Brian. Hey, Welcome I'm going gonna, gonna to slowly take a sip of my water to make sure I don't choke this time. Okay. All right. That's a good plan. Or choke, it might be. I don't know. Kind of funny, but... Uh, um, I, yeah, I so think I'm going to choke in other ways today. We'll see. Okay, well, <laughs> I, I yeah, doubt stay it. tuned for that. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah welcome back to the show i think it was it was kind of funny i think last time you were on the show we we did we not talk we didn't even talk about what we were supposed to talk about so uh and i think on this show we're not going to talk about uh what you wanted to talk about again (laughs) so So, um this is an act of like a bait and switch well, it's I know we're never going to get around to this, this thing because here's the thing is so the last time, you know, we just to recap everybody. If you haven't seen the episode before, I wanted to give everybody this like lowdown on data virtualization, you know, talking basically through my experiences at Trino. Um, I had just moved into the iceberg community at that point, but uh, had already like wanted to had this big, you know, thought of data virtualization, how it, we need to bring it back to the forefront and, and back to the forefront of the conversation and why that was. That that also plays into a lot of these other pieces like, you know, Lakehouse and governance and all these other things that still are are actively being answered at this point. And um, so we wanted I wanted to hop it right. And this one, this one that we, we scheduled for this time uh, to talk about the fact the way that data um the, the way that data virtualization plays into the whole uh, data mesh concept and plays into how we actually can achieve governance and all this kind of stuff. And I, I really wanted to talk about that, but then you, uh, I pulled up this meme to kind of explain the, the way oh, yeah, that these events happen. Real quick. Yeah. So, so Joe, I, I reached out to Joe and I was like, Hey Joe, let's, let's follow up on that data mesh thing. And then since then, you know, I've, I've released this, this, uh, blog, you may have seen it. Uh, it's the title of what we're talking about today. And Joe had to make a really hard decision where it's like, let's talk about the topic Brian wanted to discuss versus the topic everybody actually wants to hear. Joe, you're a man of the people. So, um, I, I, I didn't just dis- disagree with your, your judgment here, but I definitely <laughs> was like, Oh, that's what we're talking about now. <laughs> well, I know good clickbait when I see it, and um, you know, I, I don't are. think Joe is sweating this. I think if Joe were on Twitter, he'd be like posting the most, he'd be tweeting the most provocative things possible. Yeah, so yeah. here we are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But we can talk about the topic you want to talk about. We can talk about iceberg. We can talk about you know whatever else is on our. I minds mean, I'm here. happy to talk about iceberg first. Uh, you know, it's definitely uh, a timely thing, so I think it makes sense that we go there. And then if we don't end up getting around to the whole data mesh thing, then uh, you know, you just have me on again. <laughs> yeah. So uh, right. LinkedIn user says uh, his name is actually Jason Taylor, um, but data mesh with iceberg. We can also get into that too, I guess. Um, yeah. 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 It's kind of funny, actually. Uh, Ben Rogozhin, he uh, just had a uh, this morning. <laughs> this yeah. morning had another chat about icebergs. I don't know if the uh, iceberg community is uh, coincidentally out in force this morning, but uh, I mean, nice. I, I doubt it's coincidence. Ben, we're on to you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> copycat sure. over here. No, he, he was he was doing it first. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah. So <laughs> oh, let's enough. hop into it. Yeah, whatever's on your mind, let's talk about it. Sure. So, I mean, I, I wanted to name too here. One second. Oh, sorry. oh yeah. uh, just keep it up the whole time. Um, <laughs> Joe's sweating the entire show. Yeah, right. uh, so, I, I mean, so my, I want to talk about like my goals with this, this article, uh, Every, the thing that obviously people really honed into was the title. The title of this this particular show and the title of the blog was, you know, it, it is what it is. It's exactly what you called it, Joe. It's clickbait. It's it's there to get you to look at the blog. And particularly, I, I wrote the blog because I wanted to start the discussion around particularly Iceberg and where the spec has gone. So, um, you know, TLDR, like, I, I say that the iceberg has won and like, what does winning even mean? We have to define what that is. What's the war? Everybody's brought up some really good, you know, thoughts around this. And it's because like all of this stuff is literally just a, like get a rise out of people and get them to click on this stuff. I mean, look at, I mean, if you're listening to this now, you clearly (laughs) thought this, this was interesting. So, so I, I made the title a little edgy so that, you know, we get people interested, but that was not like my, my sentiments on an implementation. I, I want to like split this part, thing apart. There's implementations, right? And then there's, there's the spec. There's the, the fundamental way that we're talking about, you know, laying out the data that has no 
association with uh, any particular code or any particular instance of you know how the spec has been done. So you, you look at SQL, right? We have SQL as a as an open spec. It's uh, you know there's multiple variations of of even SQL specs out there. So you have ANSI, you have the uh, uh, what's the ISO? You know you have various di uh, versions, but ANSI is like the the common spec that people try to adhere to. For instance, like Trino, and you have like an IBM DB2 uh, that follows this really closely, and then you get like you know different different variations that are less following it, but but for the most part, they'll just add like one or two little syntax sugars to make things simple. Or then you have like Hive that's just a, a barbaric approach to SQL, right? <laughs> and and uh, all have their own variations of of uh, what they wanted, right? So so um, what I I wanted to get in with this is that. Uh, you know, in reality, no implementation has actually won the table format war. No piece of code is better than the other. We're, we're at a very good, like, you know, particularly uh, Iceberg and Delta are at a very particular good arms race uh, when it comes to just features, right? Um, you know, we can we can sit there tit for tat. You know, you, you, see, you see people doing this on LinkedIn all the time. If you go to any of these conversations, you'll either find a very heavy, you know, somewhat slight bias towards one or the other, and they'll really just be putting in like, well, this feature, but no, that feature, but then this feature, you know? And it's so close that it's like, it's right now, it's just not really helping anybody. It's like, you need to specifically dive into your features that you need and then like actually do a, a critical analysis yourself, right? And things are constantly gonna be changing. And so you see all these other like new blogs come out that are still citing like outdated information about the other. So it's it's just, you know, at this point, I I'm just gonna summarize that the implementations are at a pretty close arms race at this point. And it's like, it's this is the kind of circles that we're going in thinking about implementation details. I wanted, like when I first heard about Iceberg um, and just these newer uh, table-like formats, specifically like yeah, Delta and Hootie, I, I really was like, oh, okay, great. This is, you know, addressing a lot of the issues that that came up with hive and you know the same way that trino was fixing the kind of runtime element okay well now we're going to actually make sure that the standard this like kind of what i used to call, i still call it the invisible spec of hive um invisible because it's just lived in engineers minds whoever created it or somewhat in the meta store code a little bit there and it's always dependent on which version you had right that's always been a problem traditionally since we got into you know going away from the relational models and relational databases and stuff like that around warehouses and all that and we gave that up so that we could scale you know go all the way to big data scale um, but we we've lost since then the the ability to correctly translate you know bits and bytes in in, in object storage in the cloud okay we needed to migrate to moving to you know cloud-based storage too um, so, so that's been going on as well. But we, we, we really lost this translation layer between um, being able to go from the files into SQL and still have all of the same guarantees that we had, you know, back with the data warehouse. And, and that's long been what, you know, warehouse vendors have been talking about is, is the shortcomings of, you know, data swamps or, uh, and all these other, other parts, right? Yeah, yeah, so that's, that's, that's one. And, and they're, I mean, to, to be fair, they're, they're coming around and I've, I was- Well, they adopted Iceberg too. I, I am very thoroughly pleased with with where I've seen yeah. uh, you know the trend going for Snowflake, uh, BigQuery, like all, all these all these uh, you know very commonly data warehouse style uh, uh, systems. Uh, I, and I know a lot of them don't like being called data warehouse, but whatever they call themselves, They're right? Cloud data platforms, Brian. Yeah, cloud data. Pla oh my, I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's what I meant. Um, so cloud data platforms, CDPs. Um, give me a second. I need to drink some water. I'm talking a lot. No way. Don't choke. Actually, while you're talking or while you're waiting here, uh, Roni, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He has got a question. Why is Hive a barbaric approach to SQL? Tell us, Brian, why, why is Hive barbaric? So, you know, it, it comes up with its own syntax for, for starters, right? So you have like add uh, jar or something like that so that you can get some custom functionality. That's nowhere in the SQL spec. And then when you have things like, oh, I want to partition this data to have better performance. Well, you have to now move that partition to the very back of the line and make sure that it's exactly there. And it's a, probably a duplicate of one of your original columns. So now the analyst has to actually understand, oh, there's actually the data and then there's the partition column. And so if I query to actually get a performance gain, I have to query out the 
you know, the, the partition, like goofy, goofy stuff like this. It is like absolutely bonkers. The kind of stuff that, that, we that that we had to do with Hive, and I, I I know some of that's getting more implementation detail than than SQL. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other ones off the top of my head that was like uh, very like you. They would just come up with like, oh, you need to sync with the meta store. Like implementation details would just get like brought up into the SQL. So like I remember there was like a, a procedure you had to do to get in sync with the meta store all the time. And so if you put if you either got rid of some metadata somehow and the, the that wasn't aligned with your storage on on disk then you had to run some sort of sync to make sure that they were connected and same thing if it went the other way around where you lost data and but the metadata was still there you had to update the thing to say oh there's no more data here so let's get rid of this table so it can go like literally just having things get constantly out of sync and you had to represent all of that sql in the in in, in the sql so that you could, you know, t take care of the shortcomings of, of the Hive implementation, right? Sounds awesome. And then, yeah. So, anyways, we're getting too far in that. I know. Uh, <laughs> Can I throw a grenade into the conversation and say that I think that ANSI SQL is also a barbaric approach to oh, SQL? Yeah, I'm because not... it's so non-standard. It's worse than not having. I'm not choosing violence today. But, yeah, right. yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I, I'm Anyone not trying to. We haven't pissed off yet. Yeah, yeah let's um... let's make it. <laughs> What's uh yeah I was gonna say should we should we bring up that uh, that mic throw that uh, um, that Cardi B did earlier I think that you know, we'll just bring that in there I, I'm just gonna throw all my totally mic off data yeah. <laughs> yeah they're throw it at me right now um, yeah like ANSI SQL is not perfect in my and by any means right but it is the closest thing that we have on on that layer you know to to having some sort of uh, you know uniformity and that is widely adopted widely understood since you know the 70s and I don't want to be one of those people that well it's been around for this long so therefore it's really good but like think about the implications of it being around that long right and and the fact that uh, sorry more more of the 80s but uh, but the fact that um, that that's been now integrated into all this legacy software that understands some old school crusty dialect of SQL and at least is a starting point to get some people to say, oh, okay, this is SQL. Let's you know upgrade to SQL 92, SQL 2016, blah, blah, blah. And we we at least have something to to kind of reference to have ideally okay again an ideal world uh that we're all doing things the same i understand why some vendors you know it's not always like oh we want to create our own uh super secret language uh because then they're all going to be locked into our version of sql i think you do it because you know ANSI SQL is quite difficult. There's some things that, you know, you can't use. Uh, one of the biggest ones I was talking about with uh, Ryan Blue recently was like ANSI SQL cannot, does not allow for uh, CTE uh, setups for right before a merge. So if you wanted to like have a nice progressive, like building up of some data set, and then at the end, like, like just pull that into a merge statement at the very end of that CTE. You can't do that by ANSI SQL standards. And so you have to nest that entire CTE inside of the merge statement and it looks ugly, but it's like, you know, so you have to trade off. Well, if you had it that way and it was following the spec, and you go to another system like DB, like between, like if you go between D Trino and DB2, that that system will, that will never break. But if you go between Trino and Spark, it breaks because Spark supports that that uh, you know update or merge uh, syntax at the end of that, right? So we're we're hopping into the the SQL stuff a, a little bit too much. But I I do you know I agree with you. Like ANSI SQL is never going to be perfect. Like it's really 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 hard to get like a spec that everybody is even going to remotely like. Um, I tried getting a, a spec that that you know, multiple people liked, uh, just within my own, like one company years ago, we were trying to figure out just an, uh, a, a model to model, like a common data set between teams. And we were just trying to figure out the APIs around that. And that took literally two years. And when we made it, everybody just, we had a basic, like a, the core structure and we had like a little bag of words kind of dictionary that if you have one off thing that, you know, one, one off use case, you know, just throw it into the dictionary as a one off use case, but try to use the core model. What did everybody end up doing? They, they use the bag of words like constantly and there was no uniformity. Right. So like specs are just notoriously really, really hard, but I mean, we can't deny that despite the uh, the lack of popularity to go 100% full ANSI SQL, 
there is still some out there and at least the bar is set to try to get as close as you can to that. The closer you as a vendor are to following that and the closer you are as a open source project to following that spec, that's just thinking, that's like, that's just doing as, uh, uh, as much responsibility that you can for your user base and for your customer base, right? Because ultimately you want to get, uh, same thing we were talking about with data virtualization, right? The same way we're, we're all standard, standardizing around, around SQL for that, or at least how we were proposing it there, you, you, you have some common ground that people can kind of move back and forth, and they don't have to necessarily know all of the, the implementation details for switching between query engines. The same thing will go at all the different layers, too, and it, it becomes so much more powerful for users to pick and choose when they want to use you and when they don't. And, and that's ultimately, you know, it's the same core message in this episode as it was in data virtualization. This one's just, you know, thinking about thinking through it through, you know, data warehouse slash data, data lake uh, models that are becoming really popular these days. So well, let's, let's get back to the topic, though. Yeah. Why, yeah. Why, why did Apache Iceberg win the table format wars, in your opinion? Yeah. So so not an implementation, right? So this is the thing I want to cl clarify for people who had, you know, had some good criticisms for the uh, for the article. It is the spec, I believe, that one. And the, the real reason behind the spec being the winner is that basically Iceberg was uh, initially just, you know, a couple like Trino, Spark, um, who is it, uh, Flink, and it was, what was the fourth one? Oh, and then Dremio, right? So we had four engines in the early times whenever Trino was just starting to integrate with it, okay? It was early days, like, you know, uh, basically uh, we had talked with a lot of the people at Netflix that were already using Trino and they were saying, hey, this is gonna be great. We're gonna pull out, do some specs on this. And when I got the understanding, when I started playing around with Iceberg, really seeing that spec and how it's it was being driven uh, by the the larger community, how people were thinking very like there were these really long drawn out conversations on how you know going for one representation versus another uh, is is really you know kind of like good or bad, right? And so it's it's the dialogue around how this spec grows that was very appealing to me. And so, you know, that caught on over time. And so you start seeing more frequently today, if you go to the Iceberg website, there's like, you know, uh, a boatload more of, of engines like Star Rocks and uh, what, was the, what was the one that Starbucks was based off of? There's another Apache project. Oh, Presto. Doris, or Doris. Starbucks. Yeah, and then Presto as well, yeah. So, and, and Presto Trino kind of in the same bucket. Uh, Doris, Starbucks, star, Starbucks, Starburst. Starburst, no, not Starburst. Also Starburst there, though. Uh, hold on, let me think all about it. All these stars. Yeah. All these stars, man, yeah. Star Tree 2. Um, so, uh, hold on, give me a second. Star Rocks, Star Rocks and Doris are also in the same bucket, right? So, um so basically, you know, you have uh, these these query engine ones, but then we started seeing something very interesting last year, 2022, during Snowflake Summit. Um, you know, S Snowflake announced that they were going to be offering, you know, kind of a, a very like external table experience, very similar to their uh, to their Hive experience, but uh, you know, still an external table experience around Iceberg, and that kind of like set an initial trend moving forward a couple more you started seeing a couple more query engines announced uh sorry query engines data warehouses or data cloud what was it D cloud data platforms um cloud data platforms that started to you know announce their support on on top of iceberg and this was something that was kind of interesting again very super light nothing really really heavy at this point it's very much like they have their little stack over here and then we have ours this year, uh, so you know, I was writing this blog originally, like not at all anticipating to to talk about this. I was actually just going to talk about like why I went from Trino to Iceberg and talk about those, and you see that in the early part of my blog. But then, uh, right after I was, or right before I was about to publish this, like the whole Snowflake Summit and and um, and Databricks events, kind of uh, that were happening on basically the same week. They both announced like effectively some level of support for Iceberg on Snowflake side. They ramped it up, and they aren't 
particularly using it as like a native type of table format, right? And I can talk about the the some of the nuances there a little bit, but they're they're so Snowflake is now actually enabling kind of an uh, a, a data interchange format between them and and uh, and Iceberg, and so this is like kind of one step even further than just thinking like they have their thing, we have ours. They're actually building metadata around still the Snowflake storage, but still not, you know, doing the full like native native uh, experience. And this is kind of a nice halfway, right? Because it's like, it gives you the ability to see things in an iceberg world, but it's still stored in a Snowflake underlying data format. Um, so, you know, that's really cool. And, and it, it had some good performance implications. The same reason why you want to use Snowflake in the beginning or any other like cloud data, uh, is it cloud data provider? Cloud data platform, right. fully platform. managed especially, right? Like fully <laughs> yeah. managed, proprietary, you get those yeah. advantages, but still get iceberg, yeah. Yeah, so, so, or you get to look at it like it's iceberg, right? But it is not actually iceberg 100%. And that's, that's where really the, the nuance starts to come in of like, well, what's, you know, what, what is official support for, for iceberg and all that kind of stuff. But at least this is, this is incredible, right? This, when I saw that, I was like, wow, that is, I, I mean, first Snowflake came out with that. We, we, we heard about that, I think, early on in the week. Then later in the week, there was the uniform announcement. So Uniform uh, is basically Databricks's uh, uh, basically implementation, uh, client implementation that talks to not only just uh, the format that has traditionally been used with their platform, which is uh, Delta Lake. Um, they they also added in support for both the Hootie format and the Iceberg format. And so what, what this was, you know, yet another, you know, oh my gosh, both of them did it, right? So if you look at these two, these two are literally having conferences the same week, these two big vendors in the space that are constantly fighting on social, we're all used to it, we, don't, we know the antics, right? They're, they're, they're going head to head and now, you know, one, this has been the only basically protocol that is supported across both of these two, uh, both of these two, uh, um, um, uh, big giant giant vendors right one that was traditionally the lake house vendor doing the lake house thing and the other one was doing the cloud data platform thing and now it's like okay well now we have some inter interoperability here it's not great again like very very limited support um it's not there to actually get that but the foothold is there and once the foothold is there the thing for me is that customers are gonna now be like oh well you've opened pandora's box I now expect this to run like a native format. I now expect this interchange format. And so that's that's the part that's super interesting to me. And so um so Redshift okay. also supports iceberg tables now. Redshift, like, yeah. Uh, a couple days ago. Yeah. yeah, as of a couple of days, we have uh we're always on top of things there, so it's great. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, the red team, redshift team is great. We've been talking to them a lot and they're, they're great people. I don't want to say anything bad about them. And also my, my, my old colleague from my, my previous job, he, he works there. So if I say anything, he's, he, we're, we're old foosball buddies and we have like all sorts of rivalries going on. We don't need more. Mm. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> trying to stir the pot here, Brian. It's all, um, I know. I know. Actually, speaking doing. of which it is a question somebody asked earlier here. Um, they kind of want a comparison between, uh, Iceberg and Hootie, um, in the case of a streaming pipeline, he says uh, Hootie performs better. Um, yeah. So uh, maybe you didn't win the war there, but uh, yeah, tell us yeah. about yes, that. Yes, my question. Think? This is great. I wanted to get yeah. this. Yeah. So, so, okay. <clears throat> the bottom line is that when it comes down to it, Hootie has been best known for their capabilities for merge on read upsurts, right? They have a lot of extra, basically, services that are running in the background, uh, validating, and they have to basically do a per-table process to, to manage this thing. And I, I, I don't want to get too far in the weeds of, like, you know, saying my, my opinions on this, because I, you can kind of read my thoughts on Hoodie on the blog, okay? Um, I don't want to spend the whole time kind of, like, nitpicking our, our competitors across, but what I will say is the, the closest analogy that I can kind of that I dream up in my head about when I think about you know using the hoodie platform versus using like Iceberg or Delta is I, I, I relate hoodie to the early days when you were thinking about like you know uh, Hadoop and how they solve problems. Anytime you had a new problem that came up in Hadoop, it would be a new service that somebody some user would have to manage. The developer experience in early day Hadoop was just 
horrible. And you had to constantly think about, well, okay, I have all these services, things were constantly crashing, trying to keep the communications up and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, you can add more stuff, more features that do things for you out of the box. But they're, they're really ultimately adding a, a more difficult developer experience if they're not entailing that that's something that's 100% invisible to the users that are running these things. And the thing that I generally hear when I'm talking to people running Hootie is that it's, it's just difficult. It's a difficult thing to set up and run. It's difficult to understand when problems go, go wrong, wrong there. And the, the reason why they're talking about all these features is because yeah, like they want to, they want this to be something that does everything for you. But if you're, it's like, it's almost like when people are like, Hey, I want to use ChatGP to write some code for me in a language. I don't know. Oh, okay. You know, like, uh, so like I, the other day I was like, Oh, I, I want to write this little Ruby plugin. Let me just ask ChatGPT to do it for me. So then it ChatGPT goes and does it for me and I copy paste it in there. And then all of a sudden it's not working. Well, why is this not working? Well, now I got to go learn Ruby to debug the code that ChatGPT wrote for me. So my my point is with with all of this is like when you have some like it's not always kind to the user to just give them out of the box features, especially if the out of the box is like a very broken holy box. <laughs> so that's all, all right. I want to say on there. Controversial at all. Let's maybe let's maybe switch gears. There's a topic that uh, everyone wants to hear about iceberg. You want to talk about data mesh? We got about thirty minutes left. Uh, all right. We never got to it the first time you were on the show. So yeah. Um, so so, so basically, uh, when I was trying to get with data mesh, right? Um, this was a very abrupt <laughs> jump. Well, over. I mean, you know, it's uh, <laughs> George just a hard stop. Button. Yeah, just push yeah. the button. It's fine. Fair, fair enough. Okay. Well, one quick thing of summary so that we can do a, a nice, slightly smoother transition uh, is that I, I, I really, the whole goal of that, uh, that, that, that sentiment was like, I wanted to share my, my true, honest thoughts one time. And maybe now this is the second time. Uh, thanks, Joe. But <laughs> um, the, the, the ultimate thing I'm trying to convey here is that I think that we all need to get all of these different, um, all of these different, uh, table formats under one spec. There can be multiple implementations, and so at the moment, you know, to me, it's it's a neck, it's an uh, arms race between Delta Lake and Iceberg. What I personally hope to see within the Delta Lake community, I've talked to Denny about this a couple of times, and and so he seems receptive, and he said some people, you know, Databricks side are, are are a little receptive to it as well. So my hope is that hey, you know. We, we understand like Delta, Delta Lake has a, has a, is its own spec, right? Has its own thing that's going on. But at the end of the day, like people perceive this as a, as, as a, as a project that is primarily governed and run by Databricks. That's why you'll never have a snowflake that will adopt Delta Lake spec. It's just not going to happen. And whether that's true or not, I'm not here to argue that my, my argument is that snowflake will never, never adopt Delta Lake. Um, you know, one of the things I do, I do hear the Databricks people talking about is like, Oh, we have, you know, Microsoft support, um, and this kind of thing for, for Delta Lake only, but that's only a short-term thing. Microsoft's eventually going to have to get in on the game to like with everybody else right now to actually be supporting, you know, the, the standard that, will effectively be uniform now that Databricks has has opened up the pa the Pandora's box and and so and Snowflake opened it up a long time ago right and just and, and, and increased on it so what i what we in the iceberg community are trying to do right now is build upon uh kind of the what does it mean to be iceberg uh compliant and which you know and and effectively you know have a body of either people in the community or potentially we're also you know throwing throwing this kind of stuff around of like getting um maybe you know tabular or any somebody to, to offer an official certification of sorts right and then at that point you know tabular being not a query engine could go evaluate query engines to basically say hey this is the level of compatibility that uh, this query engine or this data warehouse or this whatever has across the board. And that's going to just inform, that's there to inform users what, what they should care about. So on the features list, right, here are the lists of features that are very important in Iceberg. 
here are the query engines uh, that effectively you know, are somewhat in some way, stage or form compatible. And now based on your needs, does the query engine that you want to use actually solve those needs? What's missing? And can you push on that vendor to support and get closer to native support? Once you actually move out of that, then it gets to this new level. The same thing we were talking about with data virtualization, you get to this same level where people are effectively able to say, okay, well, I am using this query engine now, or I'm using this data warehouse now, and I actually think you know this particular use case doesn't fit well in this query engine or, or uh, use case, right? I want to move it over here, and it's going to require that I have the data stored in, in uh, you know, sort of either twice or in you know, multiple formats, right? If I wanted to go out of Snowflake. Well, now that's not the case. You could actually, you know, at least interchange and talk to Snowflake as if it's Iceberg. Um, it's not Iceberg underneath uh, that. And that gets you one step closer. The next step closer would be everybody's storing the data all the way from the metadata all the way down to the, you know, core data. Um, everybody's storing on that same inter, uh, native format. And that, if, if that's what you need, if you need everything to be sitting there in S3 for cheaper storage or something like that, then that should be the next option that you should be able to have. And so we want to basically make this visible to the community um, so that you can, you can then understand, pick and choose what's important to you, what's not and then use the query engines that you want to use when you want to use them, right? And same way that SQL gives you this you know, kind of general flexibility, we want to have that same level of flexibility on that, on that data layer. Um, and then it gives you all these other benefits like you know, centralized, trying to centralize like security and all these other things across multiple query engines that have different security models. So anyways, that's, that's really what I, my vision expanded from just data virtualization. The next layer down, we really want to see this, this like nice uh, spec around the abstraction of you know, transforming these files into um, something that could be basically di uh, uh, transforming these files into something that's you know, digestible by SQL or uh, um, eventually maybe other standards, right? Let, so, me, let me ask a question real quick about the compatibility situation. So my yeah. complaint about ANSI SQL is that if I take Snowflake ANSI SQL, BigQuery ANSI SQL, Databricks ANSI SQL, they really aren't compatible. Yeah. I, I take any real world query and I try to move it and I have to do some work to translate it. So yeah. how does that compare today with the iceberg compatibility situation across these platforms? So today, I mean, it's it's fairly simple compared to what, you know, it's like SQL's been around for so long and there's been so many different use cases that have come up around it. Today, I mean, if you think about Iceberg being, you know, potentially the spec that, that becomes the long version spec of how we do data lake houses moving forward, right? Um, that that would that we're in easy times today because we are only dealing with generally like object storage assumptions. Uh, we can't, you know, it can run on HDFS still and all that kind of stuff. But you know, there the there are still levels of complexity of things that you might want to do in the future that uh, keeps the spec relatively simple at this point. Um, where that goes long term is still a bit undeterminable. But for right now. It's very clear, like these are we're like we're we'll be making this clear ho hopefully in the next couple months uh, and and showcasing like this this feature list slash you know kind of matrix on on, on which query engines actually support what, um, but ultimately trying to give this uh, uh, give this basic uh, capability of oh, I lost I, I lost my train of thought I, there actually can you repeat the question one more time. <laughs> Oh, I, have was just, I mean, I, the original question was just <laughs> about compatibility in SQL and yeah. how compatible Iceberg is. But I, I guess we, at this point, we could just move on to say, you know, how is yeah, Iceberg going to interact with data mesh? I think that's the big one kind of that Joe yeah. was getting at. So, yeah. To finally yeah, answer your question, question, though. So. <laughs> okay, good. Well, to finally to finally answer that, yeah, I, I just lost where, where I was going with that whole thing. Uh, I do want to do want to finish it out. Uh, the the compatibility right now is is relatively simple. Like you you either you know just support the metadata layer, and so you're effectively building out a couple you know Avril files that are you know acting kind of. You think about it as like a tree, right? I think about it like almost like tr try to picture a binary tree or some sort of like you know tr traditional data structure tree, but instead of like 
like, you know, there's the root that's just sitting in, um, you know, a database or a catalog somewhere, what, what Iceberg calls catalogs. And then all of the, you know, nodes in that tree are scattered across S3 uh, in a file somewhere, right? And so all of these things are little, literally like pointers to other nodes on this tree until you eventually get to the data node at the bottom. And uh, ultimately, this is how you, you know, push down queries, filter, and all this kind of stuff. Um, the 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 difference is is that you know if you're today if you're going to just support iceberg as an external table or as an external entity like snowflake did in the beginning you're just using an, a, any other iceberg client externally as like a jdbc the second level would be supporting metadata building the metadata on top of it but still pointing to your own proprietary storage and you have the internal engine that understands the proprietary storage but then uh is simply you know speaking somewhat of the language or the the uh the layout of of iceberg and then going the final ones that we call that kind of like interchange format and then the final one would be actually storing down at the file level like you know the the non-proprietary version the very open version of parquet um and so or or any other open file format that uh that iceberg supports so anyways let's go on to the next one now i just wanted to finish that one for you because i just i lost my train of thought in the middle there <laughs> um okay so data mesh <laughs> uh i know it's a dying conversation right now and that's exactly why i want to talk about it um yeah, why is it dying? i actually agree go ahead that's <laughs> so so uh i i think it's dying because uh there was the initial kind of hype cycle that, that goes around out with a lot of these initial ideas um and vendors and people wanted to capture the the initial interest and what's unfortunate about the hype, like what's fortunate and unfortunate like vendors will will quickly get the the word out to as many people as possible and kind of generate the sense of like ah, I should probably check this thing out right but as soon as it becomes like like a lot of times the the vendor messaging is really just like repeated it's it's almost like uh, and let's get back to another AI uh, chat GPT uh, analogy it's almost like you know you'll see uh, one vendor do the initial message and then they all say that same message. They've like, you know, they'll, the one will, will uh, uh, put out the, the words there and then uh, that becomes input to the next set of vendors uh, uh, kind of messaging around it, right? So my, my, uh, my, my, my whole point with that is that we, we want to be, basically be able to have uh, a real conversation around data mesh now. Um, the, the core principles behind data mesh were neither novel nor uh, really difficult to understand. Like it's stuff, it's the same thing that like, you know, like data virtualization, all this stuff, right? It's stuff that's been done multiple times, just not called that and not centralized together. And I think the most novel of, of, of any of these things we're really talking about any of the principles that, that Jamak was laying out was actually uh, the federated computational governance. Mm -hmm. That part is particularly interesting to me in that, you know, how do we, so, you know, it, it looked into this thing, the, um, the, the concept of how pe the social technical aspects, right? How, when we have uh, a meeting and a conversation, how do I transcribe the, the takeaways from that meeting into, you know, either a product, like, you know, product uh, JIRA tickets that I need to send to my engineers or, you know, uh, things that I need to get updated in legal, all that stuff. Like, is there a way to, you know, kind of shorten the gap between what we as humans have to do to translate some specification, some, something that they throw out like, Hey, you need to, uh, uh, you know, make sure that this data gets deleted after this day. Oh, wait, no, we're going to change it to this day, you know, two weeks later or something like that. How can you shorten that, that cycle between having those conversations and then getting it directly into the system to do, so that the system will take care of that for you rather than you potentially fumbling uh, the actual message in between or uh, not delivering it with the exact specs, this kind of thing. So, there was this really cool podcast uh, with Shamak on it and uh, Sam uh, Sam Ramji. Uh, he is the one of the strategy officers at um, Datastacks. Yep. And um, and I I love his show. He has a show called Open Source Data. Um, sure. So so definitely definitely check out that show. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, he he was talking to her, and this was like again at the early early phases of of uh, of data mesh. 
And at this part, the end, he taught that he kind of started making this analogy to something that they had built internally in Google when he was working there. And uh, it was like, basically, they had everything down to like a YAML file it sounded very much like Kubernetes. They had everything down to like, you know, representing the state of this, uh, this the, of the data um, in a YAML file, and you would just feed that to you know the system and the system would be able to understand it it's it was basically kubernetes for data and so once that was mentioned is kind of the way that you achieve because like the other three ones were obvious i was like well you just use trino or any other virtualization platform to get most of what you need for data mesh but that final one was like still a big question box for me how do you get the governance part all aligned and all these things and so Getting back to like, you know, if you think about the whole analogy of, of data mesh is to a service mesh, right? It's to actually building out something like Kubernetes, but you know, you, you would need it for data. So it's, it's almost very obvious in this same analogy to think of what do we have, you know, we, we have Kubernetes for ops now, which is Terraform or something like that, you know, infrastructure as code. Uh, we have Kubernetes for services. Why not have Kubernetes that is a, you know, set of specifications that build around uh, how our data is structured, uh, the, the policies around that data, who can touch it and all that kind of stuff. Why not have that represented in a YAML file that when we have a meeting, I, I can literally have everybody who's on that meeting look at the change, the, the Delta and a Git uh, hub file somewhere to see, hey, we've updated this policy from 90 days to 120 days until it gets deleted or till it moves on to another system and this kind of thing. And the system at that point, you know, there's going to be multiple vendors, just like we have in Kubernetes that supply, you know, different features uh, that, that the spec of Kubernetes supports. We would also have yet another uh, kind of backbone to, to talk to that says, hey, you know, for for instance, if you want to move a query from here to here, well, Trino can do that. So use Trino as the underlying query engine or Starburst or Athena or any of these other variants of it. And then you just specify the engine that that gets called for that. And then it should know the you know, like have the correct SQL syntax to move from here to here. And so that's that was the a big mind blowing moment for me to kind of like think, wow, that would be incredible if we could do that in an open community at scale. Because what that means is now when I have a meeting with you, uh, Joe, and you're, you're telling me, hey, legal just said we have to change it from here to here. The SLAs have updated. All I do is make a, a, a change in, in my Git file and the system does the rest for me at, at, that, at that point. Right. Um, so it's not a panacea. Right. Obviously, like people still struggle with Kubernetes deployments today. It, it brings up new problems. But. I think it's kind of the trend and, and it kind of follows what what has worked really well in the service world. We need to kind of keep replicating that and keep having the conversation around data mesh to talk about replicating that at the um, at the <laughs> data layer. Gosh. <laughs> so. so so here's an organizational question. Do you think do we have to have a central platform team? I mean, I think that's kind of been a question in terms of organizational data mesh deployment. Can each team just act independently or do you still need to we're also ignoring the larger included? question of kind of uh, between yeah. companies too? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good one. And organizations, yeah. right? That's let's start out decentralized data sharing is what it's about at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. So the intercompany thing is like I think kind of a um, it's a bit of a red herring, right? Yeah. So well, let's start, start out just within a company at first, right? Because let's say, I mean, just that the intercompany thing is actually, I think, fairly recent developments that that we're even comfortable doing that type of stuff. stuff of, like in the last 10, 10, since really kind of like HDFS Hadoop stuff, that's when we really started to get back to, you know, unless you were like a conglomerate that has like, that is your business is just to share data. Um, nobody would be sharing, sharing their data. Now that's seeming to become more, more frequent, more common from any other company to say, Hey, you know, we'll sell you our data basically. And, and here's how you tap into it. Um, and that's just another source of revenue. So I definitely seeing that trend, but first let's, let's solve the problem internal to one company. Um, so, you know, if I, if I'm running this in, as a, as a single company, you know, in terms of like, do I centralize everything? Do I decentralize? I, I think the same answer again, let's, let's pull from the service service mesh, uh, analogy, you know, Everybody was saying, oh, microservices, that's going to solve all of our problems. And like, what are we seeing today? Like, we're, everybody's going back to, you know, uh, some mix of monolith. 
But I also think like swinging the pendulum in either direction of saying you need to have all of this or you need to have all of that. There, it's never that. It always depends. And then you always like the things you need to be comfortable with in engineering in general is that it depends answer and to learn what are the what are the variables that I'm going to play with to understand whether this use case should be centralized or whether this use case should get spread across, you know, multiple teams that, that own this. And it's, there's never going to be a 100% right answer. I think people want like 100% right answers to like that. And it's going to be like, no, you're going to pick the better of like the worst, like you're going to like avoid the, the worst possible like choice. Right. And try to get the best, optimize for the best possible choice that you understand in that moment. And you're going to make some wrong decisions. You're going to make some good decisions, but you're like trying to go to where it's like all this or all that is like increasing your odds at making the wrong decision. In my opinion, in in most cases as well. Right. So always, it depends. (laughs) I don't know. That that makes sense, or did I just? Okay. I, I think so. I mean, I, I think in general, I call this purity oriented thinking, right? And yeah. in any domain, like being really extreme and saying this is absolutely how it is always is not a good idea. On the other hand, I mean, one of the things we write about in our book is the idea that archite- architects are not there just for command and control, but more for leadership to set standards and say, yeah. this is unless there's a good reason to do something else, this is probably what you should be building around as a standard. Yep. And so it could be data mesh in this case, for example. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to, you know, to be fair, I think there will be a portion that stays like centralized to a, to what you would traditionally consider a, you know, data, uh, a data or sorry, data lake house or data warehouse or just data platform team in general. I think that still makes sense because sometimes you want to offload, like sometimes the problem is, is not just a, such a domain focused thing. It's actually something maybe more focused on like making sure the data is correct, accurate, and needs more attention uh, or, or like visibility from a single team that makes sure to take care of all these conflicts. And I think that sometimes, yeah, you having that central team, that's kind of blockers, you know, the blockers to, oh, I want the schema change. Well, we can't do that because we see the whole world here and we kind of know that's a bad idea. And that that's good. That's the socio-technical part that's very valuable about having that centralized component. Um, but you don't want that to be the place where, again, swinging in that original pendulum where we had everything there, then that team ends up owning things that they don't even understand. Right. So I think the delicate balance is trying to figure out like, hey, what is reasonable for this date, this core data team to understand and try to work through basically the 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 cross cutting concerns. They're effectively like, you know, if you think about aspect programming, they're the little aspect things that that go into everything like logging or something like that. They're everywhere. But then, you know, they 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 and they help out with just about everything. Then you have the other kind of specialists that understand the domain a lot better. And that's where you're, you know, in a very specific part of code. So I'd say it's like, you just have to balance it between there. Sometimes it's going to make sense to centralize it all to one thing and make sure that that, that data is, is talking correctly across multiple uh, aspects of your company. And then the other side is going to be like, yeah, you're going to, you don't want to dump all of the information load onto that one team. You want to spread that out and have experts in each subject. So I think the answer is both. (laughs) Well, and we actually had Bill Inman on the show. What was that, Joe, about a year and a half ago? But anyway, he invented the data warehouse concept. And he said, you know, I'm not anti-data mesh. It's more that if you had data mesh, you still need like the curation team, kind of like the museum curators who are like, this is standardized. Everyone has a common interface to data. But then if you need something specific, you can reach across teams to whatever they make available through the data mesh. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I totally agree with that. We'll see where it goes. But I do agree. There's been there was a lot of mesh washing for the past couple of years, and I think that um, and now all the same uh, companies are now AI vendors, which is kind of yep. funny. So yeah, yeah, um, you know, it's just a, it's a, what a shit show of an industry yeah. we have. Um, so so I, now I think it's the perfect time then to have the conversations about mesh because now we're not going to get inundated right with with like blah blah, you know, and and everybody's a little burnt out on it. But let's have real conversations about it now. What does this actually mean, right? Well, yeah, now you're on the uh, path of enlightenment. I think the Gartner hype cycle would call it. So uh, yep. Yeah, the trough of disillusionment. I think we're in one of the two, maybe on the upslope. But no, I, I think it's time for real, real conversations about it. Um, so I'm glad everyone moved off to AI and uh, whatever else is next after that. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, was it yeah, a superconductor I, is the next thing, right? 
Uh, you guys hear right. that yeah, yeah, room temperature superconductors has <laughs> yeah. a couple. Of yeah, everyone's been talking like. about that. It's kind of funny. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. we'll all become superconductor companies. I saw, I saw. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, again, very wild theories. And the first thing on the headline is this is going to be bigger than ChatGPT. All the like AI words and combined with all this other stuff. I'm just like, oh my god, here we go again. <laughs> How about cold fusion? Can we bring that back too? Please? Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like it. I like it. Um, Okay. Well, yeah. So, I mean, that's, I, I think we actually pretty well nailed both of those, like main, the, the core concepts I was let's trying to cover sure, with both yeah, of let me, those. Let me just check real quick here. We kept, kept, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's get, let's get the pitchforks. Topic everyone wants to hear about iceberg. So, um, yeah. 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 Good job. Yeah. Oh, and if for anybody who's like listening to this on the podcast, like we're occasionally pulling up this meme that I made. So, you know, now you need to go to the YouTube channel version of this, subscribe. And there you go. And, uh, shout out. Yep. Or yeah, Spotify. <laughs> or um, Spotify. Most people, most people listen to this on Spotify, surprisingly enough. But you can um, watch it on hmm. Spotify, right, Joe? Like, you can watch you can it on Spotify, it on yeah. Phone. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They just added that in. I, I saw, like, Mark, uh, the guy that wrote the the uh, Art of the art of Not Giving a F. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mark, he, he started out with that. It was the first time I saw, like, that you could do video podcasts on that. And I love that guy. <laughs> so That's good. Um, watch, yeah. like, the All In podcast. Um, yeah. I do that a lot. So, do I have any picketers here? Do do I have to answer any anybody else's? I don't know. Uh, Pick the ones you want here. There's a lot of questions, but some of them I think uh, kind of go back to the beginning of the show. Y'all should have tuned in earlier. This be a lesson to you. Um, yeah. As we uh, switch around. Let's a lot, see. So. Uh, let's see. Uh, mesh mesh versus fabric. I have no thoughts on that. I actually still don't know what. Like I, I didn't know if that was like for real. Uh, like I don't know. Every time I, I know there's fabric. I get more confused. It's just a made up thing. So yeah, I think it it's I think it's a nuance within within the vendor side. I haven't dug into it enough yet to actually know if there is a difference. But I know that like one one company that was using Trino for a fabric thing eventually like called it a mesh thing. So I don't I don't think it matters. I don't know. I, mean, <laughs> I, I thought I, fabric was very Gartner specific somehow. Like they were maybe because they got certainly... pissed off about mesh. They started. Yeah. They started. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fair. okay. Yeah. So maybe it's that I, I, I sometimes under, like I sometimes tune into to vendor politics and sometimes I don't like, you know, the whole Apache iceberg driving different vendor politics, like reaching the snowflake and Databricks thing was very interesting to me. But then like Gartner is just way too, too high level for me of like, yeah, the that's competition. a rumor on the streets anyway. They can't confirm, but that's what I heard from okay. people. Okay. Know. They kind of uh, did their own thing. So I don't know. Yeah. This is what it is. Now they're off being a yeah, I so, uh, that so, same user uh, uh, shakes his fist at shakes their fist at the cloud. So, um, <laughs> somebody said shocked you didn't say contracts. Yeah, contracts are are definitely picking up here. Um, data contracts. Yeah, that's a yeah. That's a we we one. we didn't we missed uh, we missed that one. What else? Uh, uh, yeah, I think they think data contracts. Uh, yeah, I think data contracts are good. There's, I, I don't know. I still only see them as schemas. Uh, I know there's more than that. And I think I actually watched a little bit of the one that you guys did with. Uh, um, What's his name? <laughs> Chad Sanderson. And Chad, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was it was Chad. And so uh, he, he has great uh, ideas about it. I just always forget. Like as soon as I'll watch that, I'm like, oh, huh, interesting, you know, interesting take. And then I'll walk away and I'll be like, wait, what did he say about that? I, it's still just a schema oh, yeah. in my head. It's still just a schema. But no, I know it's more than that. I just don't know. He thinks is. a lot about this. I'll be on tour with him in a couple of weeks in Australia. So looking forward to that. So Nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, check that out. Um, I'm not saying, let's see, so it's Iceberg on top of S3 and then the query engine Spark. Yeah, so that's a good, that's a good, like, good, good question to talk about. So Iceberg is effectively, S, yeah, uh, it's, it's uh, Sorab. Um, so basically, you know, uh, it's S3 is, you know, storing actual files, right? Parquet, JSON, CSV, like all these different files that they'll, that they'll store. What Iceberg does is it's, it's the layer that kind of sits in between and says, you know, okay, I'm going to, talk to this blob, you know, this file, um, I should know, depending on the type of file, I might be able to only pull out the segment that's relevant to me or not. Um, so hopefully it's parquet or something. I'm going to pull that blob of data out. And then I, that layer is basically the iceberg is basically the model that says, okay, how do I translate from this blob of data to, you know, the, the data that's actually coming back and SQL to, you know, visualize to the, the end user. And so this should almost like the goal of Iceberg is to make this look as much like a database as you can, mm -hmm. um, not exposing system internals, right? We don't want to expose partitions uh, or any of these things that we went to when we went to the big data realm. We, we want to be able to do schema evolution. We want to do uh, all, all these different things. And, and if you don't have that, it just, it's not a database to that person anymore. It's, 
it, it gets away from that. And so that's that's the what the iceberg spec particularly as well. Like, you know, aside from just getting all this vendor, uh, you know, kind of plus ones here and there, we we, we also have you know the, the core spec itself brings us back to basically getting that data warehouse experience on the data lake. And that's why, you know, Snowflake is confident in using it because they can also assume, you know, an equal level of SQL support uh, for their customers. So, so yeah, so that's, that's, you were right. Uh, it is a kind of a layer in between the S3 and the query engine. And to me, the big novelty over Hive, because the Hive Metastore has been popular for this purpose for at least mm -hmm. five years, ever yep. since Hive was starting to go away, actually, ironically, uh, but is that you can manage updates, to your point about the data warehouse yep. experience. It can manage updates in yep. a very transparent way so the user doesn't have to think about that. Yep. I think they even had yeah. Hive Asset at one point way back in the day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah that, that, again, all, you know, to one of my comments before, right, is like the, the, the goal was like, hey, if we build another service around it, then we can, this is the way that we're going to solve acid. And it's not, <laughs> it's, it comes up with all sorts of state problems and all sorts of other issues that depend on the situation where you're deploying this in, and it becomes an extra strain on, on the experience of the user. So that's ultimately, you know, why, why we and on iceberg side, we're trying to figure out, you know, how do we, how do we do this with enough taking away enough pain, especially from the end user, uh, and then just enough pain, you know, uh, for the, the user that's actually going out and deploying this stuff uh, without, you know, making it to super, you know, smoke and mirrors and you don't know how to debug your system. Right. right. So. Cool. Probably good cool. time to wrap up. Any uh, cool announcements, things you're working on, uh, events you'll be talking at, birthday parties you'll be um, uh, working out on the way. Yeah, I got a uh, bar mitzvah coming up bar this mitzvahs, weekend. No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> balloon animals, maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, actually, it's funny. Yeah, um. no, 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 you guys missed the whole the whole spot. I was going to dress up as Commander Bun Bun. Uh, <laughs> no, so so um, I'm I'm kind of at this point kind of laying low a little bit, you know. Uh, just I, I I am popping up on podcasts here and there. Uh, at this point, I'm I'm really you know locked in trying to build out documentation around Iceberg. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, needing some improvement now, especially with all the interest in it. And so uh, that's really where I'm focusing a lot of my attention, less on the advocacy side for now. But uh, yeah, I, I will be uh, popping up around various query engine uh, events that uh, that those support. And uh, I just don't have anything 100% locked in to tell you about now. But yeah, definitely just uh, if you have any questions on Iceberg, please go to uh, Iceberg, the Iceberg Slack. Go to iceberg.apache.org. Well, there's a little like uh, link on the top. Uh, and then you can just ask me any further questions that you all have for me there. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. Uh, if you find me anywhere on bits on data dev, uh, there's a little thing here on the video screen here. And yeah, that's how you find me. Cool. Awesome. Matt, you? Anything new going on? Uh, not at the moment. How about you, Joe? It sounds like you're going to be in Australia very soon. Atlanta mm -hmm. next week. Nice. Uh, next Thursday, uh, DBT and I are doing a road show. So uh, if you're in Atlanta, uh, stop by that. Hit me up. So nice. in Australia. Uh, what, speaking of Utah Data Engineering Meetup on the 16th as well. So yeah, nice. check that out. It should be a good talk. I mean, you're going to be talking about data modeling, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Keeping it old school. Nice. And do we know so. the situation with streaming yet, if it's going to be on a stream or? I think it's up to my organizer. Okay. All right. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> Probably stream, but we'll find out. So, or not. You just need to show up, I guess. So, awesome, awesome, cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the show, Brian. Um, thanks, thanks to the a audience. Lot for having me. Yeah. Next week, we got uh, John O'Gorman on the show talking about all things semantics. So, that'll be a bit of a diversion uh, from this, but is what it is. That's why uh, people like the show, I guess, or, yeah. or hate it, one of the two. So, um, Well, I love so, it. So, thank you. Thank we you. love you, too. Yeah, thanks, so. plus one. thanks for being here. This is great. It's a lot of yeah. fun. Oh, yeah. yeah. Maybe Day to Day Texas. Yeah, uh, it's from uh, Lynn. Yeah, so I think we'll be, uh, Matt and I will be there. Somebody com commented, too. I'm, I'm like on two two different uh, rosters for the uh, show, so giving a talk. And then uh, Matt and I have the uh, end of day um, panel uh, discussion or uh, town hall, I guess it's called. Yeah, yeah, we ran it as a town hall, so we'll do it. What again. was the situation yeah. with that, Matt, for, for everybody? Why, why do we do that? Um, I, I think what we, so it's closing out the conference, and at that point, there are drinks, and people are ready to kind of be done thinking really hard about data problems, and so this last year, we decided it was a good time just to have an open conversation about the state of the industry, the conference, kind of a, you know, wrapping up, closing things out, summarizing. We're going to yeah. do the same thing this year. A lot of heavy hitters in the audience, yeah. too. A lot of uh, good combos, like Jamak and Bill and Min were sitting next to each other, and uh, 
it's good to uh, heckle them. So, um, yeah, Sam Ramji was there. Uh, yeah, a lot of people. So great time, Brian. You, you should show up to it. Be good. I, I will uh, when my kids are a little older. <laughs> Oh, I got it. Okay. <laughs> I got sense. little, little ones. So, but, but when, as they grow up, I think I'll have a little more, uh, I'll, I'll feel less guilty if I go to one of these things. That I just got to be very choosy. <laughs> are, are there any data conferences in Chicago? Like that we should be aware of? There was There's one. There's go-to. We're supposed to There's be talking go-to. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a go-to actually a while back, and then I think uh, I need to check out and see when the next one is. But yeah, uh, go-to is a, is a big one, and then um, yeah, just occasionally here and there some pop up. So I mean, please anybody who is like a vendor listening to this, like please have your your thing in Chicago. I would love to go there and speak, and I will you know I'll do it for free <laughs> because I don't have to in a rabbit suit too. This would be great. I'll, so. I'll do it in a rabbit. I'll do whatever you want me to do. <laughs> just do it in Chicago. It's got great food. We have amazing food. <laughs> yeah, rumor is. Uh, Matt and I are going to be at a go-to. I haven't confirmed yet, yeah. but I think that that's, yeah, uh, that's the plan. That. Oh, so, cool. Yeah. Maybe I'll, yep. I'll see you guys there then. Yeah. End of October. Yeah. I just need to juggle around. I'm just traveling so damn much. I just need to figure out like a good time. I feel you out there, man. I don't, I do not, I'm not jealous of how often you travel. <laughs> I'm not either. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just going to go on autopilot. It's like uh, out of body experience kind of. Yeah, so. just turn, just become a zombie. You're just on the plane, just like, which it's, plane am I on? Oh, what happens? Yeah, you don't even know what's, uh, what city you're in. It's like the uh, Hello oh. Cleveland moment in Spinal Tap. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Hello <laughs> Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Awesome, well, awesome. Well, cool. Good luck. Thanks, Have audience. Fun. Thanks, man. Yeah, thank yeah. you very much. Thanks and, for uh, having me again. See you all soon. Bye-bye. See you guys.